mastermind events aren't places where you go to like hand out your card. You know, you're going to learn some stuff there, but interacting and bumping elbows with people is really a good thing. One thing I never turned down is I never turned down a conversation. You never know who's going to help each other out, right? Like real estate is a people business, man. Having these conversations, going on these podcasts, jumping on calls with people, being a guest at things, that's ultimately what's going to win you deals. People only do business with people they like and trust. You could offer the best product on the planet, but if you suck and you're a shitty person, no one's going to want to work with you. So like, you just got to have good conversations, really invest yourself into other people as well. And uh, it'll always come back to you. Everybody want to get the bag, but y'all really know what it's going to take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue chills, got to show you the way. Because we talk finance and that much housing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding all day, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this wave because we're dropping blue chills. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Let's We're go. Another episode of the Blue Gems podcast here with Matthew Porcaro, aka the founder of the 203K Way. Matthew, thanks for so much for hopping on, brother. Glad to be here, guys. Always, uh, always happy to chop it up. Yeah. So uh, let's kick it off. Just wanted to hear more about your story, your background, and what you specialize in relating to the 203K loan. You know, the 203K was a little bit of a different way of getting into real estate investing. Obviously, there's a bajillion strategies out there. The 203K loan was something that allowed me to purchase a my first property for very little out of pocket and kind of kick off my journey. So found out about it through really just trial and error, you know, tried a bunch of different strategies for a couple of years after I got out of school, wanted to get into real estate investing, you know, kind of as a side business, side venture thing. Tried wholesaling, tried, you know, raising private capital, seller financing, all the, you know, all the things, you know, based out of here in New York, Long Island, New York, for anybody that doesn't know, it's a suburb of New York City, very high cost of living, very expensive, very tough to break into for sure. You know, every market's competitive, absolutely. But, you know, this was just another one that was, you know, very, very tough for, for small fish, right? So I was just trying to look to see my edge, whatever that edge could be. So joined a bunch of different masterminds, mentorships, all kinds of stuff. Went to my local RIA, you know, after kind of striking out a little bit saying, hey, you know what, maybe maybe my local RIA has a little bit of some insight onto what the heck to do around here. Because obviously, it being New York, maybe, there, maybe there's something different, right? Maybe there's something I'm missing. And, you know, I joined up with them. And and to my surprise, it was all kind of the same stuff I had already been reading in books and seeing in videos and other things. So luckily had the opportunity to work uh, closely. It was another kind of mastermind thing. Joined up with the leader of the group, very successful woman. She flipped tons of houses, owned tons of rentals, super mom, has like several kids, just does it all. You know, one of those people that could just, you, you like look at them and you're like, how the hell is this possible? Right? Like, right. like I can hardly get like breakfast in during my day. And like, I, you know, she's got eight kids and runs like three organizations. Right. So anyway, so I, so I trust her a lot and I, I took her off to the side one day and I said, Hey, listen, you know, I'm seeing what you're teaching. I'm seeing all the stuff that's been put out there. Like I've seen it all before. Like I'm, I'm really just trying, like if you were in my shoes, right? If you could go back to like your early twenties and you could do it all over again, like what would you do? Like, I, I, I don't have a boatload of money. You know, I got maybe 10 grand saved to my name. That's the most money I ever had at one time. I'm like, what would you do? And she told me about this thing called the 203k loan. And up until this point, I had never heard of it. So I'm like, what the hell is a 203k? And she's like, well, what allows you, it's an FHA loan. It allows you to purchase 
properties three and a half percent down, only out of pocket, right? But what's cool about the 203K version is that it'll also allows you to wrap the renovation costs into the loan. So what that also allows you to do is it allows you to buy fixer upper properties. So she said, you know, in your case, number one, you know, FHA loans require you to occupy the property. But I was young at the time, right? So I didn't have a house yet. You know, I was still living at home, living between there and my and my girlfriend's now wife's house. She's like, this is perfect for you. You know, look for a fixer upper property, live in, you know, here in New York, basements are very popular, you know, live in the basement, rent out the upstairs and, and basically get the mortgage paid for. But what you could do is look at this through the eyes of an investor, right? Look at this loan product, right? Three and a half percent down is very low. Okay. And then you're getting prime interest rate, right? You're getting an interest rate that, you know, for owner occupant, you're looking at, you know, in the range of three, four, five, 6%, right? And you can get into this, rent out the upstairs, live for free, house hack it basically, right? But then also do the renovation so you could build equity into the property. Then what you could do is you could take that equity that you build, you know, similar to a Burr method, repeat the process and keep going. So it kind of blew my mind, right? Because I, I had like <laughs> up until this point had never heard of it, right? All these years of reading books and all kinds of shit, like never heard of it. And I didn't even know you could buy a house for less than three and a half or for less than 20% down, albeit three and a half, right? Even just your own house. Like I didn't even know, like obviously owner occupant, they give you those little, you know, those little uh, benefits, right? But even, even for non-owner occupant, like I thought, you know, I thought everything needed to be at least like 30, 20, 30% down, right? So it kind of opened my eyes tremendously. Lo and behold, I went home and started Googling it and found absolutely zero information on it, right? Like just like very few and far between. And, you know, it, it, it's, I started to realize why it maybe took me a little while to hear about it. You know, fast forward a little bit, I, I did take it to heart and I and I eventually got in contact with a, lo- with a local lender who happened to be a family friend and, you know, he kind of roped me into it. The rest is history, but really what it allowed me to do was um, it, I found out by accident, I can, we can get more into this, but, you know, I found out by accident also that FHA loans allow you to purchase up to a four unit property. So you can live in one unit and rent out the other unit. So obviously, if you're looking at this through the eyes of a real estate investor, that's huge, right? Absolutely. Because you can get four doors under your belt. You know, in my case, I didn't even know that was possible possible. I was just planning on living in like a non-conforming unit in the basement, whatever, you know, just kind of making that my part of the house. By virtue of the loan, I kind of found out as I was striking out, placing offers on a lot of stuff here in New York, right? Like I couldn't, this is even back in 2016, right? Like I couldn't afford anything, right? Like on, on a single salary, it was like almost impossible for me to get qualified on anything, right? So, you know, with the single income it was really brutal. So I found out by accident, I was placing offers, just getting denied, denied, but like on the bottom of the barrel houses. I mean, I mean, like absolute train wrecks (laughs) that were just sitting on the so so sure enough i'm going through these train wrecks and there's one that comes up and it's a it's a two-family i'm like man this could be nice but i I can't afford it i told my lender and my lender was like no well actually you you might be able to because what you could do now with these two to four unit properties is they're able to forecast your future long-term rent what they could do is you know for in my case right the duplex on its own i wasn't able to qualify right i was probably only pre-qualified for about like two hundred eighty thousand, something like that right this property itself was 280 ended up needing $80,000 worth of work. So I asked him, I'm like, so well, what, how could, how is this even possible? He said, well, we're, what we're able to do is we're able to take 75% of the future rental income from that other unit and add it to your debt to income ratio. So not only was I able to buy this duplex, I ended up locking it up and, and closing on it for 270,000, put $80,000 into it. I was basically about all in for 350. All in for 350 was able to afford something I wouldn't have been able to on my own, you know, because they were able to forecast that future rental income. Lo and behold, you know, I was all in for 350. I um I did a big renovation on it. It was a crack house, literally like it was a piece <laughs> of shit. 
crap on the walls. Like they were using the bathroom when there was no plumbing active. So it was, it was, there were squatters in there. It was really bad, really nasty house. But again, only thing I could. <laughs> so I wanted to make it happen. I did see, I was like, man, if these, I didn't know much, but from the years of reading books and all this stuff, I'm like, it, it kind of makes sense, right? At this price, I think, I think I can make it work, right? Everyone else was running from this thing, right? But lo and behold, you know, it was so low out of pocket, you know, it was 9,500 bucks out of pocket. I was actually, you know, we could get more into this in a, in a bit, but it's, it requires three and a half percent down. Anyone that's really quick at math would realize that three and a half percent of 350 is more like 12,000, 13,000. So how'd I do it for nine, nine, five? I got a seller's concession. So one of the cool things is you can get up to 6% back at closing from the seller as part of an FHA loan. So when I came up in the negotiation, I asked them to cover closing costs. So I actually got a check back at closing. So I actually paid less than three and a half percent, little fun trick nice. there. Um, anyway, so the, yeah. So at the end of the day, um, all in for 350 and renovated it, got it reappraised uh, eight months later because I had planned to, I refinanced immediately into a conventional, reappraised for 480,000. So uh, wow. you know, I built 130,000 in equity off of 9,500 bucks in just eight months. And now that doesn't count the fact that I was living for free briefly while I was there. And then about a year later, you know, after I did this renovation, I engaged, I got engaged with my now wife, moved out, moved in with her. And then I rent out both units. I still get 2000 a month free cash flow from that. Yeah, man, that that basically kicked me off, right? Because it, it gave me a couple things, right? It gave me the confidence, number one. Um, number two, it gave me a lot more equity and gave me a lot more money to play with. And number three, it was something that was accessible, right? Like in my market, like three and a half percent is still doable, right? I like to tell people three and a half percent down, I don't care who you are, like you could save that. If you can't, then real estate is not for you, to be honest. Like, like uh, sure. you know, there's a, there's a great quote out there, right? It's like, if you can't manage 10 grand, what makes you think you can manage a million? Absolutely. Right? Right. People don't get that, right? It's the same reason why like 90% of people that win the lottery go broke in like 10 years, right? Because, and, and these are like absurd amounts of money that these people manage to blow. It's like, you know, it's more money, more problems, right? So, but yeah, no, that, that kicked me off. And, um, but lo and behold, that the whole reason my whole 203K way brand and community came about was because I suffered through this thing, um, the, my first go around it, it. And I learned out again, why that it's maybe a little more cryptic and, and there's not much information on it is because people don't really understand it or give it the time that it needs to understand it. Once you do understand it, you actually know how this thing works. It's actually extremely intuitive and really smart the way they do things. If you do it the right way and you use it the way it should be used. You know, I, I created this community because there was just not enough info out there. And I, and I, and I still to this day remember vividly as anything being done with that renovation, getting the CO from the town that day after they did the final inspection, looking around in the room, right? Like smelling the paint on the walls, seeing the new floors, like just looking around, like taking a deep breath and being like, holy shit, like how the fuck do not enough people know about this? <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I just don't understand. Like even with all, like, listen, and it was like very stressful. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. Right. But it was still worth it. Again, you 9,500 bucks. And so, you know, obviously now it's, 300,000 in equity, right? So it's like for that amount of of turnover, right? For for the out-of-pocket investment to own an asset like that just makes no sense why more people don't take advantage of it. So that's why I built this thing is to give people that runway. But hopefully I didn't ramble too much. Hopefully this was getting to the point of why, but I think, you know, the 203K is a little a little nuanced, right? So I like to kind of give the full story so people really can get an idea of of how it works. No, that was... Yeah, let's talk about those uh, those nuances because... As someone who did an FHA loan on my first deal, I was very intimidated by the 203k loan. And the reason was because of the rehab process. So from my understanding, you have to have an approved contractor, get an approved budget and kind of jump through a lot of hoops 
more so than a normal rehab, right? Let's say I bought a house, I was doing a flip, conventional loan, hard money. There's really not a lot of hoops you have to jump through as opposed to a two or three K loan. Is that true? Or have you found that it was pretty straightforward once you get an understanding of it? Great question. So, you know, that's that's obviously the big point of contention for people. I guess the answer I like to give now is think about the amount of power of leverage they give you for the return of what you're giving them. It's an FHA loan, extremely easy to get qualified for, right? Like 580 credit score, bare minimum, three and a half percent down, 55% debt to income ratio. Like, like they are very, very liberal on what they'll give you, right? In terms of terms of everything like that, right? So understandably, they need to have some checks and balances on this, right? I, I, they're giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars to use on a renovation loan, right? They don't want you to just go out and grab your cousin Harry and give him a $300,000 reno job, right? As investors, we know how that all turns out anyway, how hard it is to find good contractors, That this, that, and the other thing. So a couple common misconceptions there. So one of the first things is that people think that there's something called an approved 203k contractor. So it gets convoluted a little bit. There's no such thing as like a certified or approved 203k contractor, right? Any licensed and insured and experienced contractor can be a 203k contractor on the job, right? They just have to like go through the motions of like providing their licenship, showing that they're, you know, they have experience, good standing, good insurance, everything like that. Again, this is all shit that you should have regardless, right? Like, like (laughs) using cheap contractors will always get you in hot water. Like, I don't care. I don't care who you are. The biggest newbie misconception is that you are the like, I don't know what it is, man, but like every you could HGTV could put every horror story show on. You could hear every horror story from contractors, from other people. Everyone still thinks that like they're getting a good deal on a cheap contract. Everyone thinks that they're the exception to the rule, right? Like you get what you pay for, right? So at the end of the day, like I tell people like hire the best contractor you can afford because at the end of the day, like, yeah, there might be cheaper guys out there, but it's always going to come back to bite you in the ass, right? There's price versus cost always. So to answer your question, right? Like there's checks and balances that are built in to make sure that you're not just taking this money and or the contract is not just taking this money and running, right? Listen, it's very similar to the hard money process. If, if any contractor's ever done like insurance work or anything like that, anything on a draw schedule, these are things that like are very are very standard in the construction industry. That's where actually my background, my background's in very large scale construction, residential and big construction in New York City, right? That's what I was doing with my engineering career. This is like par for the course, right? Every single construction project that gets run, a clear scope of work needs to be put together, right? A line item scope of work needs to be put together. There is a draw schedule, there is draw inspections, there's punch lists, all that stuff, right? The thing is, is when you go, you walk into a renovation and you make it a hobby, it's going to blow up in your face, right? You have to have control control on it. So the big things are number one, getting a good contractor and making sure that, you know, these guys are reputable. You might pay a little more upfront, but it's going to cost you way less in the long run to hire a good guy. So that's the first thing. Again, any contractor works. I tell people get three to five bids because one of the things that you were talking about with the scope of work, right? A 203K consultant gets put on the job. They're basically like, they're basically a home inspector, but what they're also doing is they're helping you create the scope of work and agreeing on it. And they're submitting that to the bank. Again, that's like the line item scope of work. But what they're doing is they're really just acting as a referee on the project. So they're kind of like a neutral third party that's overseeing, you know, making sure that like the contractor is doing the work. Like they're not trying to get one over on them, right? There's some controls and and stuff. Like the contractor is not going to get their money if they didn't complete the work, right? But it's very, it's very like very standard, very standardized. But you get three to five bids. Now you can compare apples to apples, right? Now you can know like where your pricing is. Now you can know if like your cousin Harry is just getting one over on you or if it's a legitimate 
ultimate price, right? And then you bid that scope of work. It's called leveling the bid. So what you do is, you know, you get these three to five different contractors and they're all bidding the exact same scope of work. So you before you or you hire your contractor, you're giving them all leveled bills, bid sheets of like exactly line item, line item, line item, right? So there's no there's no loss in translation. Again, the benefit to that is you're going to make sure that you're getting the right bids. You're getting comparative bids. And it also gives you a good negotiation tactic, right? I had a guy in my group. He was between a couple different contractors. He had one contractor that he really liked, got a good vibe from, came highly recommended, right? And he got three bids and he really wanted this one guy. He's like, but this guy's like $60,000 over these, these other mid guys. And he's like, I'm, I don't know what to do. Like, I really want to use this guy. I don't really have it in the budget to pick him. Like, what's going on? I said, did you get your three to five bids? And he said, yeah, I did. I said, okay, so let's level them together, right? So we looked at his bid sheet. We put it like, you know, electrical, plumbing, you know, HVAC, whatever. And each line item, right? And you have all the costs on the right. So you see the comparison. And you're like, okay, spot the knot. The guy he liked, for some reason, his electrical was like $40,000 over the other two guys. I'm like, are the other two guys just super wrong? Or is your guy just really high, right? Common sense would tell you the one guy is probably way high, right? So he went back to that contract. He's like, listen, I really want to use you, but your your electrical number is just really high. Like, can you can you go back to your sub and see what's going on? Sure enough, it was a mistake. He went back. He was like, oh, we thought you wanted to do this whole new service. You don't. You're not doing that. Nope. Okay. No. All right. Cool. Yeah. We'll meet you. Uh, we'll meet you at the. You know. We'll you three quarters of the way there. So he saved like $50,000 just because he leveled the bids. All this stuff and all these things and all these features are put into 203k loans specifically for this reason, right? It's to make sure that you have some checks and balances because they're giving you so much leverage, so much power, right? And you want to you want to protect yourself. Love that. Love that. This all sounds amazing. How could someone or, you know, someone from our audience utilize this in the short-term rental industry? So there's a couple different things. Uh, one, I'll start off with like the owner occupied one. Okay. So obviously this is the less sexy one for some people. Like there's just some people that are like, Hey, you know what? I don't want to move into something else. That's fine. I'll get to the second strategy that I would suggest for them. So for the first strategy, it's like, Hey, you don't really have a primary yet, or you're, you're open to moving or something like that. Okay. What you can do is you can utilize this loan to buy something that's a fixer upper, right. And do the burr strategy essentially also with the house hacking component. Okay. Now what's cool about these loans too, is it also allows you to use them to do ADUs, accessory units. I don't know if you've heard of ADUs before, but accessory dwelling units, a lot of states across the US have been implementing it just because of very low inventory with housing. So what it allows you to do is, you know, most single family residences in the United States now can now very quickly get permitted for an accessory dwelling unit. Now it's not a sec, now it's not an actual legal unit, but it's an accessory unit, right? So it's, you know, it basically could come with all the, you know, all the features of another unit, but it's something that you can add with the 203K loan. So what a lot of people can do is now you could buy a single family home and now put an accessory unit in your backyard, attached to your garage, whatever. Now you could do a short-term rental on that, right? There's the, That's a big thing that a lot of people are doing across the US. Again, it, the, the 203K allows you to finance all of that into the loan. So it's nothing out of pocket for you, but you get all the rewards because, you know, who knows if you can get a couple thousand dollars a month from that, that essentially will pay off your mortgage or, you know, whatever else, or, you know, give you more profit, whatever it is. So that's the first end of it. You know, I've had people that I've worked with uh, do these 203K loans in like a little more like touristy areas. So like parts of Florida, you know, um, 
um, out west, and they were able to do it by multifamily. And some of them had like one unit they kept a long term, and then the other two units they kept short terms, right? Or they do short terms different times of the year, right? I have people in my group that are are traveling nurses, and they rent it out to other traveling nurses, right? So it's kind of like medium term rentals. So again, you could whatever your exit strategy is with your rentals, that's completely up to you. The one thing that I will say is when the bank qualifies you for the mortgage, they won't be able to forecast future rental income of the accessory unit. And they also won't be able to forecast future income on short term. So they're going to go by what the long term rental number would be, which I think is good due diligence. I mean, I don't know what you guys teach, you know, in your world. But in my opinion, if you're if you're underwriting your deal to like the best air DNA numbers you can find, like you're going to have a bad time, right? We're already kind of seeing it a little bit. You know, if you run your numbers such that it pays itself off with long term, because long term is not going away, right? Short term, it's cyclical. It could, you know, there's the long term really isn't going anywhere, especially in these hotter markets. So if you can make sure that you can you can run these numbers such that the long-term unit uh, numbers work, then go all for it. So that's the first one. Okay. That's the first one for, you know, you could just, you know, you buy a small multifamily, these FHA 203K loans allow you to buy a small multifamily, do the reno, right? Make it super cheeky, make it nice for, for, for short-term rentals, right? And make it cool. So you get all your, you know, your bachelor parties, whatever going in there. And that's, that's one way of doing it. The next way of doing it is using something called a home style loan. Now, home style loan is actually, it's, it's Fannie Mae's version of the rental loan. It's very similar to the 203K, almost identical in the way that you kind of have to get things going. It's a little more lenient. So, you know, I know you were talking about loopholes earlier, like holes to jump through. It, it, it's There's not as many, but it's it's really only good for single family. You know, if you're looking at single family houses, it still allows you to build ADUs. So that's another great thing you could do with it. You know, it's actually what I'm doing. So the house I'm sitting in right now, I actually don't like wood paneling. That's not my flavor. Um, <laughs> I just bought a house and we're doing a complete full gut reno on it for our forever home. And uh, I used a home style loan. So I practice what I preach. But again, the beauty of these home style loans is they're perfect for single family. And and what also they allow you to do is they allow you to purchase properties as second homes. Now, you only need 10% down, not three and a half. It's obviously you're not living there. So but you can get a second home and you can basically buy a second home, vacation home, whatever it is, add it to your arsenal. You still get to wrap the renovation costs into the mortgage, right? So you still get all of that benefit. And it's still only 10% of your purchase price plus the renovation costs. Okay, so this is a great way if you're looking in some of these, you know, touristy areas, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, in, in you know, here in New York, a lot of people look into like the Poconos and like the, um, you know, the uh, Pennsylvania, areas, like there's a lot of ski areas up in Vermont, all that stuff. You could go buy these like kind of little dinky houses and renovate them real nice. And then, you know, obviously the caveat to this, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a tax professional or anything like that. You have to be there seven, 14 days a year, whatever it is, but you get the benefits of getting this second home under your belt. You still can wrap, wrap the renovation costs into the mortgage, which is fantastic. You know, you don't have to live there, which is obviously the key point. But again, that's only limited to single. You can't buy like a quadplex and not live there with a the home style. They don't like, uh, Fannie Mae doesn't like the multifamily thing that much. <laughs> Makes sense. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. 
This all sounds amazing to me, but I think one possible objection, especially in the 2021 market, is how is a seller looking at these offers? So if they see a FHA loan, a FHA 203k loan, or this homestyle loan, is that impacting the strength of the offer? Have you seen some of your community not be able to get into these homes because they're wanting to you know, finance the rehab? Yeah, I mean, for every person that told me that people don't accept 203ks, I've had three people get it accepted, right? It, it, it's just a false belief. Listen, at the end of the day, it's how you structure your offer and what you're bringing to the table, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're looking to use a 203K and you're looking at a move-in ready house or mostly move-in ready house, and it was back in 2021 when people were just offering like all cash and all kinds of other shit, like, yeah, the seller is going to take the path of least resistance. But that was that was across the board. That was even for conventional, right? Like, right. you know, the, the funny thing is now going into 2020, late 2022, 2023, right? There was a lot of houses that we were, me and my wife looked at for our own home, right? We placed dozens of offers, you know, not dozens, we placed 10 offers before we got this one, which we ended up getting off market. But anyway, we were posting offers and they didn't really care too much about it. You know, again, we were looking for fixer uppers. So the whole idea is that the value you're bringing is you're getting into number one, you're getting into a home that you're able to take it as is, right? No inspection contingency, the appraisals on these things, 203k specifically. So the loan amount they'll give you is 110 percent of the after appraised value the after wow. like so wow. so when you think about yeah so so what actually a lot of the savvy uh loan guys that i know that specialize in these rental loans what they were doing was for the people that were like having struggle there was a lot of struggle with with appraisal right what they were doing was people that missed the appraisal he was making he was putting them into a 203k giving them a five thousand dollar renovation budget just to tack onto it but then they got a 10 percent increase in what they were able to get approved for and now they were able to close on the loan now i don't recommend that because i'm a big believer of value add i want you to create equity not lose it but right. um again the, the point being is the way you position it and all comes down to like really knowing what you're doing with these there's a ton of lazy realtors out there we saw that in the last two years that were just very transactional like they just look for highest invest every time. Obviously, that was a very rare exception to the market. That's not still the thing that went by the wayside very quickly. But again, even during like the midst of the pandemic, like that's when my whole 203k way like became a thing, right? I actually found that uh, that more renovation loans were happening than ever because a lot of people were realizing they were getting priced out of market. So they needed to resort to looking for fixer uppers. And again, when your competition is just like either other cash buyers, which in many cases aren't able to afford as much as you because you're buying it for your owner occupant and for more of a long-term hold when some of these guys were buying it for flips, they didn't have the same wiggle room that you would. So, you know, you would bring it to the table. And again, listen, at the end of the day, it comes down to the seller. Like it's not up to you to convince, and this is real estate in general, right? Like it's not up to you to convince the seller they need to come down in their price or anything like that. It's a numbers game. You put forth your best offer, what you can do for them. They either take it or leave it. Me and my wife, we bought this property. We used a renovation loan. We're doing a big $150,000 rental on this thing. We closed in 45 days. We closed faster than most conventional. Again, when you know what you're doing, it's not that bad. Like it's it's actually, you know, it's very simple because you don't have the appraisal issues. You don't have the inspection bullshit that comes up that slows these things down. They're, you're taking the property as is. Appraisal's not an issue. Inspection's not an issue. You can get to the closing table very quickly on these things if you know what you're doing. So um, tell us a little bit about outside of 203k loans and um, ways that you're investing currently. Just want to know about you personally. <laughs> so the 203k thing became like a thing, obviously, just because um, I was answering the same questions over and over about this, right? Because it's a very, you know, it's not a normal way to get, in, get into the game. That became a thing. Now, after that, I went heavily into flipping. 
so that was a big thing for me for the couple years leading up to the pandemic. At the pandemic, I realized very quickly that um, up until then, I was depending on foreclosures, right? So I had a little bit of an in with a foreclosure realtor. He used to get you know ahead of the game a little bit. The reality is, is like foreclosures weren't a walk in the park either, right? Everyone likes to say like you know hindsight's twenty twenty. People like to say like people even like listening now. I'm sure you can have people that are like, oh, you bought in twenty sixteen. That's so easy. <laughs> like it was never easy. Like it's never easy. It's never going to be easy. The whole idea that, like that there's like some perfect time to buy where everyone made balance of cash, right? Hindsight's always 2020. Like people that aren't buying now are going to wish in two years they bought now. They'll be like, oh man, back in 2022, rates were so low. Now, you know, there's always going to be like an excuse. But the point being is like foreclosures weren't the easiest, but it was my it was my only deal source, right? I, I became very dependent on that. So I was doing foreclosures. Banks were such a bitch to deal with. I mean, over, you know, dealing with them, you're dealing with, you know, an underpaid property manager who's like a kid with a law degree who got this job because there's no lawyer jobs and like they're just suffering through this shit. They didn't care. They had no idea what they were talking about. Just like very stressful in its own right. But yeah, once the pandemic hit, that completely evaporated, right? I realized very quickly what my, you know, what my kryptonite was in my business was that I depended on, you know, one deal source. So fast forward a little bit, that's when kind of the 203k way picked up. And I focused a lot on that and focused on a lot on my finding me and my wife our own house, right? So that opened me up into off-market. Recently, I've been focusing very heavily on off-market and I actually went so far into it because one of those things where I realized what the weakness was and I just wanted to train the hell out of it is like me with like, I had the weakest deadlift on the planet. So I just would train deadlift like crazy. Same with the squat, right? I just, I knew like I wanted to lean into my weakness, right? So we've actually, I've been actually doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes um, that I'm not really telling too many people about, but really what it is, is I'm going like full into lead generation. Uh, we want to do it like nationally. And and we've been working behind the scenes on that because I think at the end of the day, we saw so many issues with the market and the way the way that real estate transactions work and, you know, nothing against realtors, real estate agents. But I feel like that was such a such a bottleneck on transactions in the last two years. And, you know, going direct to seller, especially for investors is like, it's mandatory now. Getting stuff off the MLS, it, it's few and far between. And there's just so much friction that gets created, right? You're seeing so much happen with like seller financing and all that stuff these days. You know, that stuff doesn't happen when real estate agents are involved, right? So I believe as an investor and as as anybody that's buying real estate, you know, more than just your own home, like there's so much more service that can be provided as well going direct to seller, right? You could have good meaningful conversations with some of these people and actually help a lot of people get out of sticky situations. So we've put a lot of impact on that. And that's been something that, again, still very, very much in the works and in its infancy. But we have some promising results so far that we're trying to leverage into. But my focus really has been off market. That's how I ended up finding my house, right? We were striking out like crazy. Had a newborn baby. We were living in a small one bedroom apartment. It was getting super full. And like here, I was having like a come to Jesus moment. Like it was brutal. Like I'm the real estate guy and I couldn't find a house for me and my family. Like I felt like I felt like a I felt like a loser, right? I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I felt it was imposter syndrome, right? And it was because I was just kind of, you know, letting the offers go on on MLS. Lo and behold, like we were looking in a very specific market. I think that's a little caveat to all this. Like, you know, people in my group were still finding deals. When you're opening and you're casting a wide neck, 
there was totally deals to be had. But me and my wife, we were very honed in on like a two mile square radius in New York. So we wanted to just hit it. So that's when I kind of dusted it off, realized like, hey, I got to learn off market. And I just canvassed the whole area and just bombarded it with mail until we got a whole bunch of responses and ended up finding this lady. Had a good conversation with her. You know, this is in the midst of everything crazy. Every realtor telling me I couldn't get what I wanted for the price I wanted, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone was saying it was impossible. I still locked this thing up for 150000 under what it's worth currently as is. We're doing a 150000 reno. It's probably going to have two fifty plus in equity when we're done on it. And again, this was all nice. during the midst of everything. And the reason being is I was able to go and present an offer to them that they didn't want to list it on the MLS. They knew that there was going to be tons of people going through the property because it was that time when like there was lines out the door for open houses. They didn't want to deal with renovation. They didn't want to deal with emptying it out. They, you know, it was an older lady. She's moving into a retirement home. The kids lived out of state. They didn't really want to deal with it. So I, you know, I told them, listen, I want to make this as easy as possible for you because I was able to do that. I was able to get it into it for a discount, right? Um, because I was bringing value to them. I, I you know, hopefully I, I think it was a mutual thing. They understood that, hey, listen, you know, this is taking a lot of a lot of stress off of us. It's worth it. It's going to a good family. We know it's going to the right place. And that loan, the home style loan, allowed me to make all those exceptions and do all those things where they didn't have to worry about anything. Love that, man. That's awesome. Really good points, especially, you know, helping the sellers solve their problems as well. You know, I think that's overlooked a lot, you know, quite frequently. A lot of beginner investors listen to our show, you know, just getting started. What would be your advice, you know, for someone to wanting to break into the real estate game? Start before you're ready. Like you just have to, you just have to jump in. I know it's so cliche, and and um, I know when I was a beginner, I I hated hearing it. But you don't really realize what it means. Like as a beginner, you're like, wait, but how can I start before I'm ready? Like I'm I'm scared. Like I'm gonna fuck up. Like fucking up is probably the best thing that can happen to you. And I know nobody wants to hear it, but like you know, um, you know, Kent, right. That's how we met at Kent Claudier's mastermind. And he, and he says this great analogy all the time, which I think is so good is, you know, imagine you, you go and you want to get into MMA and you listen to every MMA podcast on the planet. You read every book on MMA, you watch every YouTube video on MMA on, on every single, you know, on every single move and strategy and everything like that. And you just, you know, train and train and train and train or no, no, you, I mean, you're just reading, you're studying, 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 studying. Then you call up Dana White and you're like, Hey, put me in the ring. Like you're going to get like you're going to get punched in the face you're going to be lights out you're going to be blacked out why I thought you know everything about MMA right you you read every book so you must know everything about MMA no you have no real life experience because a, a, an ounce of real life experience is worth 10 pounds of, of study. I mean, dude, real estate in general is like, so, I mean, you know, there's so much information out there and you know, mine is another piece of information. Like I tell people all the time, like I, this is just one version. You just need to find one thing and stick with it. Like don't do the, do whatever works for you. But man, like I, I stayed way too long on the sidelines because I thought that there was some secret book or some podcast or some secret deal source where everything was going to make sense. And it wasn't until I threw myself into the mix, like the two or three K had no idea what I was getting into. And I learned everything as I went. And I learned so fast and so quickly because I had to, because your people are way better on their feet than they think. So you just have to get out there. Like we have this idea that you have to like fully study something before you get in. It's obviously the education system. It could be a whole nother discussion, right? But like we're taught as kids to like just study, study, study and take a test. And that's, oh, if you get a hundred on the test, that means you know the topic. Like, no, you have to put it into, into, into practice. So start well before you're ready. Like I would much rather you jump into a deal and get your shit cooked in than and then just sitting on the sidelines and listening to podcasts 24/7 like i would you're you're going to turn out way better in the long run 
Man, that could be a whole show yeah, in and of itself. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That one response. <laughs> yep. Wow. And then uh, what does a day in the life look like for you right now? <laughs> oh, man, uh, that's a great question. Uh, day in the life. So um, fitness is is like paramount for me, not for anything other than it's like a mental health thing. I, I realize that everything in my life is just better if I am working out. I refine that out the hard way every time that anything stressful in my life happens, right? So we we just had moved, in, moved into this house, like health took a back seat, right? And it can't. I, I realized, you know, using it as an excuse to say, oh, listen, you know, I'm busy. We got a newborn. We got this. We got that. We got a new house. Blah, blah, blah. I got multiple businesses. It's easy to make that the excuse. The problem is, is it, it can't be. And, and I'm not like a big, like hard on. I just, you need to do something um, physically. You need to sweat. You need to get those endorphins going for anything more than like, you know, back in my twenties, it was to look good. These days it's to feel good and just make sure my mind's right. So, you know, I'm, I'm usually waking up, working out, starting the day, you know, wake up. I'm pretty bad. I, I check emails right away. I'm like, you know, my, my whole world is on my phone, but I'm bad with that. But you know, I'm, I like to get ahead on emails and everything. And, but I like to carve out couple hour time blocks throughout the week that are just kind of deep time for me to work on what's important, you know, filming content, replying to really important emails, stuff like that. These days, it's a lot of focus too on, you know, obviously the business model that I'm looking at, helping people in the 203k way. At the end of the day, like everything I found out has to be scheduled. So if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't happen. And I I say that with like people that are just starting out, like analyzing deals, placing offers, all that stuff, right? Like without standards, nothing is really going to happen right? So you need to standardize like certain practices in your life. So like something as simple as analyzing deals, like you need to put it in your schedule on your phone and it needs to happen. Everybody that gets started all work nine to fives, right? Like these are people that or just have something that's paying the bills, right? So if you're going to add something else to your bandwidth, like it needs to be scheduled in, otherwise it's not going to happen. So if you had a boss pull you into a meeting at, you know, at one o'clock, you wouldn't miss it. So you need to put in like, if you're going to analyze deals or you're trying to do something to, to, to forward your business, whatever it is, right? Lead generation, whatever it is, needs to be in your calendar and scheduled just as just as important as if a boss had to bring you in on a meeting. Like it needs to be non-negotiable time and it needs to happen on times when you know you're going to be least distracted. So, but yeah, man, just a lot of that fitness is the big thing, just scheduling everything in, spending a lot of time doing content these days. Uh, that's been a big thing for me and like getting this whole movement off the ground. And then, you know, working on some of the other businesses I have, my flipping, my, my rental properties. Um, and then, most of the time, just trying to make as much time with my kid as possible. I don't take any of that for granted. I I feel like I don't do enough, right? You feel like you can never do enough in that regard, but try to put my phone down. I don't always do it. um, You know, do it, listen to, I listen to what I say, not what I do. Um, But (laughs) trying to remove myself from the phone by like, you know, five, six o'clock and drop it and just try to enjoy family. Love it, man. And then if you could leave the audience with one last gym, it could be about life. It could be about business. It could be about anything. What would you want to leave them? I mean, I, I would say it almost like it, it almost aligns with what I just said earlier about starting before you're ready. Like, like I'm my biggest problem is analysis paralysis. Like I suffer, you know, I'm not saying this from a soapbox. Like I struggle with it. We all struggle with it. Everybody does. Right. But I am definitely one of the worst culprits. Right. I'm an engineer by trade. I overthink the shit out of everything. I overthink when I should go pee. Like I, it's, it's bad, like, right. It's built into my soul. I don't know what it is. I got dealt this hand, right? Like I, the people that I see over and over again, that are always killing the game are just compulsive action takers, right? I know it's so cliche, but there's a book out there that I really think does the best version of explaining this. It's called U squared, like you to the second power. It's by a guy named Price Pritchett, I believe. It's like a handbook. It's like 36 pages. You could get it for like two bucks off 
of Amazon. But I, I reread that any chance I need some motivation and to get put back on planet Earth, because it just talks about how every good thing in your life requires like an overabundance of action taking, right? Like you can't expect anything in your life to change if you're not changing things in your life, right? Like if you if you think that like, just thinking about real estate all day is going to happen, you know, manifest itself in your life, then you're wrong, right? Like the secret, there's like that book, The Secret, there's some merit to it, but like there's only so much thinking about something you can do. Like you actively have to be doing revenue generating activities. You actively have to be putting in the work, doing the grind, especially now that the the market's starting to cool off a little bit. The free money's gone, right? Like it's going to, you know, it's going to go back to the grindstone. So yeah, just taking massive, massive, massive action. And and again, maybe my gem would be read that book, U Squared. Again, it's 30 six pages. It takes no time to read. And it's, uh, it's in my opinion, the best explanation of really what it takes to, to, to really make changes in your life. Beautiful, man. And then uh, where can people find you? Sure. So uh, Instagram is probably my main place. That's really just the the platform that I've called home the last couple of years. So at the 203K way, there's a bunch of imposter accounts and shit. I, I don't really know what to do about it. It's super frustrating. But at the 203K way, there's no other underscores or dots or periods or whatever. You can find me there. A lot of good info and resources on there. There's a link in my bio there. A lot of stuff there. Building up my YouTube channel, trying to, you know, YouTube's a, a, a is a, a behemoth of... Um, of work to do, but uh, I've been putting out longer form content there though. That's that I I feel is really helpful. Again, just answering questions that I always wish that were answered for me as far as two hundred three k and home style and renovation loans are concerned. Concern. So you can check me out there. Um, but yeah, those are the two places. Really, man, crushing it, man. What a great episode. Honestly, honestly, one of my favorites, man. I'll be honest. Uh, just the way that you're able to articulate uh, your thoughts. Um, you're a really good coach, man. Amazing stuff. Yeah, I really appreciate it, brother. Really. Yeah, absolutely. I will say it hasn't come easy, right? It's just, you know, over time, I've been lucky enough to be on podcasts like this and, and you know, kind of refine and make sure that I'm delivering it the best, right? We're all here to help each other, right? Like we absolutely. met at a, at, a, at a mastermind event, right? Like to anyone listening, that's the last thing I'll leave. Like mastermind events aren't places where you go to like hand out your card right? Like, you know, you're going to learn some stuff there, but but interacting and bumping elbows with people is really a good thing. Like one thing I never turned down is I never turned down a conversation. You never know who's going to help each other out, right? Like real estate is a people business, man. So mm-hmm. like having these conversations, going on these podcasts, you know, jumping on calls with people, being a guest at things like that's ultimately what's going to win you deals. People only do business with people they, they like and trust. Um, you could offer the best product on the planet, but if you suck and you're a shitty person, no one's going to want to work with you. So like, you just got to have good conversations, really, you know, um, you know, invest yourself into other people as well. And uh, it'll always come back to you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.